We're back or still in uh, Romans chapter 8. We'll be reading from verses 24 through 27. This is on page 944, I think. I don't have my sheet, but... Romans 8, beginning with verse 24. The hope that he's speaking of is the hope of our final resurrection. He's just mentioned the redemption of our bodies, our final completed adoption, and our, the freedom of our glory in which all of creation is caught up and transformed, the new creation. So that is the hope he's speaking of. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the Spirit himself intercedes with, uh, for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Thus the reading of God's word. Let us pray. O oh Lord, Enable us to grapple with this text, this word from you that can and will help those who trust to pray. Enable us to be men and women of prayers, of prayer, and men and women who pray much. Lord, this was the very sign that Paul had been converted as the Lord was speaking to the disciple to say, yes, he has changed. Look, he prays. Lord, may this mark every one of us that we are a praying people. By your grace, do this work by your spirit. Amen. Kids, um, three words to look for or listen for. Name is one. Ache, A-C-H-E, ache is another. And immovable is the last one. Ooh, that's the biggest word we've had yet, immovable. Now, just as a way of introduction, we all have felt inadequate in prayer and I want to say this, you and I should feel inadequate for prayer, utterly inadequate for prayer, because as we see in this text, prayer is beyond us outside of the Spirit's help. It is something we simply cannot do, like everything else in the Christian life. You remember what Jesus said himself, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from the Spirit, we can pray nothing. Not truly. And that's the first step to realize what prayer is about is that it is beyond us. 
Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 18, he says, always praying in the Spirit. Always praying, but in the Spirit, by the Spirit, depending on the Spirit, aware of my need for the Spirit. And as we see in this text, he does not leave us alone. So the first point here, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. This is a great word. It's used in the Greek version of Exodus 18, where Moses' father-in-law is is watching Moses try to judge all the people, and he's exhausting himself. And so his father-in-law says, you've got to get you a team of people, uh, good people that can help you judge. Let them bear the burden for you. That's the same word. So that's encouraging that the Spirit is here to bear the heavy burden of prayer, the burden that we cannot handle ourselves. And it's amazing that the mighty God who created the world is sent to us to be in our hearts to help us pray. That's how much we need. Nothing less than an almighty being could help us pray. And he's come to do just that. In fact, it says he himself, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for, but the spirit himself of all people, it's not just somebody, it's the spirit himself that's going to do this. You know, there's almost excitement. There is an excitement there, an amazement. The Holy Spirit himself is here to intercede for us, him and no one else. I love Bunyan's short statement. We do not pray very well. (laughs) Just simple, you know, typical John Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. We do not pray very well. We must have the spirit. Now, here's, I think, the hardest part of this verse, and it's the one that uh, commentators write voluminously about, and they should. It's, it's hard to quite know what he means here, because he says, we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What does he mean, what to pray for? What is this groaning? What are we to think of these things? Now, I want to guard us against a misunderstanding of this passage as though we come to prayer every time and we have no idea what in the world to pray for, ever. No idea what to pray for. That's not what he's saying. And I want to bring in some other passages. Always interpret Scripture with Scripture, right? These Scriptures say this. This one says something that appears to be different, how do they fall together? For instance, in 1 John, um, four sets of verses, all basically saying the same thing. 1 John 5, 14 and 15, John says, we know if we ask anything according to his will, he does it. That's the assurance that we have. If we pray anything according to his will, he will answer us. That's toward the end of 1 John 5. Now, that means that we must have his will available to us or he wouldn't give us a pointless prayer. You know, pray, uh, if you pray according to his will, but you don't know what to pray for, so forget it. 
you know. No, his will is expressed throughout his word, his commandments. So I want to pray through those commandments that I might be able to fulfill those from the heart or his promises are given or examples left and right, revelations of God's power. Oh, I want to pray in keeping with those revelations of his power, etc. So the whole word of God is given us to help us to pray according to his will. And the more we bathe ourselves in that word, the more naturally we will pray his will and our prayers will be answered. And then a similar passage is found in the same author, John, in chapter 15, where he says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, You can ask whatever you want and you shall have it. Now that is a broad statement because you're like, whatever I want, but how does it start? You're abiding in Christ. You're depending upon him. You're fellowshipping with him. And part of that is his word continues in your life. It shows your abiding in him shows itself by his word abiding in you. His word extending its influence into your life. His word healing you and rebuilding you, causing you to flourish. And Jesus says, as that, ha- as that happens in your life, pray whatever you want and it'll be done for you. Obviously, in both of these passages, His word is molding my prayers. The desires of God expressed in the word are molding how I think about life and what I pray for and how I pray. His word shapes me. Yet another passage in John, and I don't want this to be confusing because these aren't saying really different things. They're saying the same thing in different ways. This one is found in John 14, verses 13 and 14, where Jesus says, if you pray for anything in my name, I will answer it that my name will be glorified. Now, you and I, I grew up thinking this, that I pray in his name by attaching in the name of Jesus at the end of prayer. I did it. I prayed in his name, in the name of Jesus. But you'll notice there are no prayers in in the New Testament that end with in the name of Jesus. So that's not exactly what he's talking about. And usually when we're thinking about praying in his name, and this is not wrong, this is good. We think of I come only in the righteousness of Jesus. I come only clothed with his perfection. I come in the name of the one who died for me. I have no right to be here except for Jesus. And that is good. That is good. If we're consciously thinking, Lord, I come, maybe putting it up front instead of taxed to the end, but Lord, I come in the name of the precious one who died for me and makes me able to come before you. But there's even more to praying in his name. It name in scripture stands for everything that Jesus is 
or God is, or that he does. It's kind of not, it's really, really synonymous almost with the word glory. Glory is the outshining of all that God is and all that God does. Glory is the outshining of Christ's, uh, what it, his work and his person. All his beauties shining forth. That's what name means. So if you pray in his name, that is in the light of his name, in the light of everything he is, in the light of everything he's accomplished for me, that's a transforming word for prayer. To pray within or inside his name. I've described it sometimes as routing your prayers through the riches of Jesus before you take them on to God. Let me give an example so you know what I'm talking about. So you could pray this bare prayer, and the prayer is good, nothing wrong with this prayer. Lord, help me love my wife more, or help me love my neighbor or my church member. Help me love, and you fill in the blank, more. Nothing wrong with that. It's his will that you walk in love. Good, fine. And you say in Jesus' name at the end. But I want to give some more weight to that and show how you could pray in his name. For instance, Ephesians 2.10 says, We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God has prepared beforehand, that is predestined, planned, that we should walk in them. So here's how a prayer, say you're going to pray in his name. You're going to pray in keeping with what he has accomplished or is doing in your life. So I pray this way. Lord, I am your workmanship, your art piece, your sculpture. You are the God who made the whole earth and everything in it. And now you've taken me to mold me into a new person. You're his workmanship. And you've created me in Christ for good works. You've created me in Christ for love. This is your purpose for me. It cannot be undone. It cannot be denied. I'm your workmanship of love. On top of that, you've predestined that I should walk in ever-increasing love. You will fulfill your amazing plan for me no matter how weak I am. So, Lord... Enable me to love my wife. See how different that is? Just just bearing in mind or praying in the light of all that Christ has accomplished for you. That's praying in his name. Now, again, that's not that it's not dissimilar from praying according to his will, letting his word abide in you praying in his name, it's all taking in the riches of God's word and allowing that to shape my prayers. Whether you look at it from standpoint of will or abiding in his word or his name. And then the kind of capstone on all of that, which points in the same direction, is Jesus' famous words that you're amazed what's happened to this fig tree. I tell you, if you say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea, it'll do it. Not talking about literally a mountain, but it certainly is promising that great things will happen if you believe. But there again, what do you believe? What encourages you to believe? 
Seeing the commands of God, seeing the promises of God, seeing how great his salvation is, seeing his purpose for what he wants to do in this church. That gives us faith to believe you died to create unity, O Lord. You died to make peace between your people. O Lord, fulfill the work of the cross in our lives. That'd be a small example, you see. And, enable, and it would enable us to believe it because he's died to do it, right? He was raised from the dead to bring about new life in this church. And so we pray in faith. So these are things that we can know how to pray, right? These are things that enable us uh, to Grow in prayer, believing prayer, believing the promises, having his word shape our prayers. But this, this word, when it says we don't know what to pray, it also can be translated, as it is in several versions, we don't know how to pray as we ought. And commentators are divided on this, but I, I tend to think it's we don't know what or how to pray. Kind of the together and so here's, here's the real struggle for the people of God. We, don't, we know what to pray for in general, and, and we always have the word. We always have the Psalms, for instance. Pray through the Psalms. Find all the prayers in the Bible. Pray through those prayers. Pray through Paul's prayers. Uh, take the book of the Philippians and study it and pray through it. All of that. But we struggle praying according to God's will in the midst of pressure and suffering. To know what to pray for. To seek his glory in the midst of our own suffering and pray for his glory in the midst of our suffering. We need the grace to pour our hearts out honestly to God, to tell him how terrible we feel, how dead we feel spiritually We need to pray believing his promises. And sometimes we don't believe those promises. We need grace to call to mind those promises and to set ourselves on his promises. We need grace to exalt his goodness in the midst of bad things happening to us. And to expect his faithful goodness even when the darkest things are happening. I would say we don't know what or how to pray as we ought in the midst of the struggles that we have. We are very weak. We we need to want to pray God's will, to want to pray that good will come to someone who's wronged you. How about that prayer? We don't know what or how to pray when somebody's wronged us. What about the grace to want to pray that God will be honored and his kingdom advanced even in the midst of my suffering. Well, he comes to intercede for us. Spirit intercedes for us with groanings. Now, here's the, I think one of the hardest parts of this passage. And we get a lot of help from earlier, and this was weeks ago, when we Noticed and read in verses 14 and following that the Spirit 
enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. So the Spirit is in our hearts. He's convincing us that God is our Father, convincing us of the Father's love. And through the Spirit, we actually cry out with our a full heart, Abba, Father, a dependent heart on God's goodness. That's the Spirit's work. But it's interesting in Galatians 4, Paul says, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, is the Spirit himself crying, Abba, Father, instead of us? Well, no, the Spirit wouldn't be crying, Abba, Father. The Spirit is crying, Abba, Abba, Father, in the way of creating that cry in our hearts. You see what I'm saying? It says, to make it graphic, Paul says, the Spirit is coming to our hearts and cries out, Abba, Father. And the result is we cry out, Abba, Father. We're the ones that need to cry out, Abba, Father. But he puts it graphically by saying the Spirit does this and it comes out in our hearts. And I believe that's the pattern here as well. That these groanings are not just happening somewhere. We don't feel them. We don't know anything about it. It's just, it's good to know the spirit is groaning. Rather, his groanings create groanings in our hearts, just like Abba, Father. To intercede for us means that he helps us intercede. Just like Abba, Father. So we cry out our Father in the Lord's Prayer, and we believe it is by the Holy Spirit that we do it. He is said to do what we do when he moves us to do it. Just like if he said, uh, the Moors have gone outside uh, Hattiesburg about 10 miles and they built a new house. And you don't say, whoa, 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 whoa. Did they build it themselves? You don't think that, right? You know what they mean. They had somebody build it. And in this way, Paul is saying, the Holy Spirit groans, but those groans mean our groaning. As John Murray has written, Christ is our interceder in the court of heaven or our intercessor in the court of heaven and the Holy Spirit is the intercessor in the theater of our hearts. And when he mentions searching the hearts, that means he's searching our hearts, seeing in our hearts this groaning for the things the Spirit moves us to want. These are the groanings, but the Holy Spirit is the author of them. The intercession of the Spirit comes to expression in our own groanings. The intercession of the Spirit is registered in our own hearts. So he's not, it's not that the Holy Spirit is presenting his own groaning, just like Abba Father is not between the Spirit and God. It's our heart that he's moving. Now, this is, this is incredibly important and encouraging to us because it means that he is creating groans in our heart. He is inflaming us to pray more earnestly. Now, that is encouraging. 
that we don't know how or what to pray, but he is moving and groaning so that we are inflamed with desire for the right things. And we sometimes are overcome, if you've had my experience, trying to think and pray for something and then you just seem to run out of words because you're just aching, aching for it, for something to be done, aching for justice, aching for things to be turned around, aching for violence to be gone in this world, aching for relational tragedies to be no more. And sometimes you just pray and sometimes you're just overcome with desire and pain and And I believe that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit with groanings that can't even be articulated. We, have you ever wanted things to be so different? You just ache, you long, you groan. And see, in this passage, we've heard that creation groans, we groan for redemption, And the Holy Spirit groans. You see, he's entered into the groaning of creation and the groaning of his people. And he doesn't chide us for that. He doesn't mock us for groaning. He encourages it. Because we live in a hard, hard world. And the Holy Spirit's not saying, "Uh, you need to quit groaning all the time and mourning and all that. You got to quit doing this. Now, there could be a total negative self you know, implosion, all that kind of thing. But praying because of the horrible things that go on in the world or that have happened to us and aching for things to be better, that's the point of the groaning. We're aching, aching for things to be restored. We're aching for sin to be removed. We're aching for pain to be removed from this world. That's what this whole passage is about. In verse 24, in hope we were saved. From the first day we were rescued, hope was the atmosphere. Forward, forward, heavenward. New earthward, we might say. He sighs and brings us to sigh, desiring this future life with him. In Galatians 5, 5, we read this. Through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And that's the coming of Christ and righteousness taking over this world. But notice, he says, through the Spirit, we eagerly wait. Just like creation eagerly waits, we eagerly wait. And eagerly waiting is important. Paul talks about the crown that he will receive. It's called the crown of righteousness, when he will be made righteous and be in a righteous world. He says, I await the crown of righteousness also uh, to receive that crown and everyone else who eagerly expects his coming. So brothers and sisters, this isn't, This is how you and I are supposed to live in eager expectation. Hebrews 9 says, 
He will save those, this is verse 28, the last verse. He will save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Now, I'm not saying I'll make this a new rule or new law. If you're not all the time eagerly waiting for him and eagerly waiting right when he comes, not that, but just describing your life as one that you've so embraced and trust Christ. You so hate this world not the creation, but the world of sin and destruction and violence. You long, you long to be free of sin. You long to see, be with Christ. You long for all things to be renewed. That's the mark of believers. It's the mark of the Spirit causing us to groan for the future. I love the passage in 1 Thessalonians 1 when Paul is describing what happened to the Thessalonians when the gospel came to them. He said, you turn from idols to God to serve the living and true God and wait for his son from heaven. I'm like, two things you did. You turn from idols and you're serving the living God and you're waiting for his son. That's your life. Serving God, waiting for Jesus. Serving God waiting for Jesus. And brothers and sisters, this is what the Holy Spirit will do, what he wants to do in your and my heart, that he comes into our hearts and not just a little desire, but we groan because of the Holy Spirit groaning within us. And finally, the Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God. This is just brief, but it sounds like God knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit prays according to the will, but knows is more of an intimate thing. He knows it's not just a bare knowledge. It indicates the relationship and intimacy. They're completely in tune, completely on the same page of compassion and care for us. God's always tracking with the Spirit. The Spirit is bringing an unlimited desire for the good of God's people. It's the Spirit from God speaking to God. So you know this is going to work, right? The Holy Spirit working in us to cause us to ache for the things we should ache for. The justice we should want. The righteousness we should long for. And it's interesting. This sounds like, well, what good is anybody that's always thinking about the future? Well, actually, those are the most effective people in the world to change the world. Those who have their hearts set on the new world do the most good in this world. At the end of 1 Corinthians 15, and this is 58 verses, and the whole time Paul is talking about the resurrection, explaining resurrection, what's going to happen, and it ends with that great passage that is read at many funerals uh, where the trumpet will sound and uh, the dead will rise in Christ, all of that. He ends... 57 verses about the resurrection and he ends in verse 58 by saying, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because of the coming resurrection, be steadfast and immovable. And he says, because your work is not in vain. Everything you do, brother or sister, 
in school or at home or in the workplace or on vacation or recreate, wherever, whatever you're doing, your work is not in vain because there is a new world coming. And everything you do has significance because there is a new world coming. Nothing is vain. Nothing is empty. It's all important. So get with it and get after it, he says. So you see, those who have this greatest hope, they're the ones who endure and continue to love no matter what, no matter what it costs. We're going to see some of that tonight in our study. And I want to say, if you're here and you don't know Christ, this may sound, have all sounded pretty foreign to you. But I hope that you would at least hear the involvement God has with our lives, of this Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts. God comes to you if you don't know Christ, announcing to you that my son... God himself has taken on flesh. He has died in the place of sinners. He has borne their sin away. And I offer him to you that you might trust in him. That you might have your sins forgiven. That you might be clothed in his righteousness before God. That you might enter in to the inheritance of the new creation. I had a dream as a kid that still haunts me to this day. It's incredibly vivid. There's a girl named Nancy Pope. I think she was my girlfriend for a little while in the sixth grade. But I was going up into Nancy's house. She had about eight steps in my dream. Dark outside. It's so warm and inviting. All my friends and family were inside this house. And right as I got to the top step, somebody came out of the bushes, put their hand over my mouth and drugged me away. I just remember that being drugged away from the light. Still terrible to think about that. It's just a dream. But there's a, there's a phrase that Jesus uses three times in Matthews, Matthew. He says, they'll be cast out into the utter darkness. And all three times he says, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, grinding, clenched mouth in the agony and pain of it and loss. Cast into the outer darkness instead of being in the eternal celebration with Christ. Inheriting the world are being cast out into the darkness. Those are the choices before you. And we urge you, trust in Jesus Christ now and forever. Let us pray. Lord, thank you that the Holy Spirit comes to us and enables us to long for the right things. Lord, we know, especially in difficulty, it is in, in, in suffering, it is difficult for us to pray as we ought. We thank you that you come because we are weak, but you are strong. 
And you will so work in our hearts and create in our hearts the desires and the longings that you want to see. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this help. Enable us, Lord, to please you. Enable us to pray in your name. Enable us to pray believing. Enable us to pray according to your will, abiding in your word, your word abiding in us. Lord, increase the richness and joy and energy and practice of our prayer for for your glory and for the change that will occur in our lives and in this world. Amen.